You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Tim Hipsch, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Financial independence nearly spun me into a clinical depression. I went from being dissatisfied with medicine to coming to the realization that I could leave it forever at the drop of a dime, all after inhaling a personal finance book in one sitting. I was financially independent, prize of prize, top of the mountain. So why was I so upset? Why didn't it feel like jubilation? In reality, for the first time in my life, my finances would allow me to no longer define myself as a doctor. I could walk away. I could leave immediately. But then who would I be? It took me a few years of deep thinking, writing, and discovering you, my community, to answer this question. It turns out that being a doctor was only a small part of my unique purpose, identity, and connections in the world. I am more than just a doctor. I have other unique gifts to share with this world and I yearn for connection. Community is connection, but how do I nurture community? How do I make my unique gifts as well as my financial resources matter? How do I have impact? My search for answers to these various questions came to an abrupt end when I met Tim Hipsch. And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind all the listeners about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the What's Up Next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group. There are postings multiple times a day, and it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, good to see you again. We're going to be talking about how do I impact my community? So, Tim, I'd like to give you a chance to give us a quick introduction, and then we will dig into the conversation. This is Tim. I live in Minnesota and work for a Fortune 500 company, but have found an amazing opportunity being involved in the community and just having a chance to give back. So, Tim, let's talk about this idea of giving back to the community. You said you work for a Fortune 500 company. At what point in your work life did you realize, hey, I'm not just going to go to work every day, that I need to start looking for more in my life? Well, right after undergraduate, I came out and I decided, you know, I want to do one thing every year that's totally unrelated to what I've done in the past. And I've had some truly remarkable experiences. And that really built the foundation of being involved in the community side. And I've learned so much about myself and skills from being involved in that community. 
And when you say one thing a year that was different and outside of work, did you know immediately that you wanted to do something having to do with service in your community or did it evolve into that over the years? It's evolved into that over the years. Uh, and each year is something uh, completely different. So I don't know going into a year what it's going to be, but uh, I have a chance to find one or two things each year and they've been truly remarkable experiences. Let's go back to that first year. You had just started working for a Fortune 500 company. What, if you can remember back, was the first extracurricular activity you did? The first one that I did was one called Community Capital Alliance. And it was really having a chance for young professionals across a lot of the large Fortune 500s to come together to really understand what's going on in our community. So with that program, which is now called the Fourth Generation Fund of the Minneapolis Foundation, we choose a topic as the group. We go and we do research into that topic and ultimately do site visits to those those organizations, find out what are they doing and what's amazing work they're doing for our community. And we turn around and we grant our dollars then out to those organizations. So it's a great way to understand, okay, how does our community weave itself together and really provide the services that it needs? And would you consider this a volunteer position? Absolutely volunteer. And and it also turned out to be my first board seat was serving on this organization. And over the years, the ability to serve on nonprofit boards has been an amazing way to give back. But also, I've learned so much in the process myself. I was about to say, it sounds like, you know, when we talk about volunteering, we think about giving of ourselves. But it, it also sounds like you learn a lot in the process and gain too. Can you talk about some of the things you've gained through volunteering? For a, a new graduate out of undergraduate getting into work in the community, it really forced me to think strategically much earlier in my career than I otherwise would have. So I think that has really been a differentiator over the years, having a chance to get in and and work with organizations and and understand from them, where does this organization need to be in the next five years and help me set the path of where it's headed. And that's really been a great learning for me, that skill set. It's fun to see an organization come together over the years. You know, oftentimes we look at and go, boy, it's not moving fast enough. But then you you pause and you look back to say, what's happened over the last five years? And you see the true impact that you can make. And would you say that you've become a better W-2 employee because of your volunteer experience? How has that impacted your, your W-2 role? Absolutely. Getting those experiences outside really help as you come in and do your day-to-day job because you're able to tie all the pieces together and really connect the dots across a lot of different areas. So I found that to be a huge um, benefit for me, having a chance to take what I do outside of work and also inside and cross-pollinate between the two, two worlds. And it seems that there are millions of volunteer opportunities available. How do you choose between them, especially if you're looking to build yourself both in your career and your community? Is there a way you weed out which volunteer positions are better for you? Absolutely. The, the most important piece is to follow your passion. Follow the thing that you really enjoy doing. And my encouragement to everyone is go and check out a, a, a nonprofit and go to some of their events. If you find yourself really excited as you go to those, those events and get involved with people, go back and find ways to deepen that relationship. If you go to an event and you find, boy, this isn't for me, that's perfectly fine. Move on to something else because there are so many great things going on in the, the communities around us. Find the things that really give you energy and get you engaged. And volunteering, though, can become pretty time consuming. I mean, is there a point where you get overly involved and feel like you have to pull back? 
I think everyone who really gets involved in the community finds those times when it's just like, okay, it seems overwhelming. The best advice I always, I've, I've ever gotten in that space is it's always okay to say no because you saying no gives someone else the chance to say yes. If you say yes all the time, uh, you're taking that spot that someone else who might have a passion for that area would then not have a chance to do if you're filling that spot. So the, the best thing that I recommend is you'll get involved with an organization. You'll have a great opportunity. You'll help that move it to the next level. And at some point, you'll end up feeling like, okay, I'm not as excited as, as I was at the beginning as I got involved with this organization. That's nothing negative about that organization or about you. You've just moved to that next spot and it's maybe an opportunity for you to step back so that someone else can step forward and take it to the next level. And I imagine that whether you mean for it to happen or not, occasionally volunteer positions lead to paid positions or at least offers to take on positions in some of these organizations you're working at. They, they certainly can. I haven't taken uh, that step to, to go on to a, a paid position. But what you oftentimes find is as you get more involved with an organization, you'll move from just as a volunteer to maybe being on a committee to maybe being on the board of that, that organization. And each one of those experiences gives you a deeper understanding of the organization as well as builds different skills in, in you. And can you talk to us a little bit about what your different volunteer activities are currently? Uh, what are you involved in right now? So right now, I um, have a great opportunity to be involved in one of the, the largest regional theater companies in the Twin Cities area. You know, my focus in the past has been a lot of it around higher education. I have a huge passion for, for higher education and the transformation that makes in students and have spent the last 20 years really focused on that space, but now have started getting a little bit more involved on the, some of the arts organizations as well as some of the social services spaces. So one of the best pieces of that very first experience that I had with the community community was how broad it is. So, you know, one year we might work in early childhood and another year we might work in arts. So it gave me a really wide understanding of kind of what are all the pieces that need to knit together to make the community work. So that foundational experience really has helped me over the years. So Tim, I'm curious, it sounds like you change the volunteer group that you're working with every year or periodically. Why do you choose to do it that way versus sticking with one over the long term? If I don't necessarily change my volunteer space every year, I put myself in a position where I'm having a new experience every year. And those experiences down the road might lead to what's that next step in, in the volunteer space. The, the boards I've served on uh, have been anywhere from six to nine year stints on those boards for the most part. So I tend to go really deep into one or two organizations. And then as, as that comes up, then kind of reevaluate, okay, where, where's my volunteer go next? And volunteerism seems to be certainly one way you can impact the community, but it is not the only way. I read through your website and you talk quite a bit about angel investing. Can you tell us what angel investing is, first of all? Angel investing is an early stage investment in a startup company. It's really that period of time after they have their idea and they've started their work, they maybe have already raised some dollars from friends and family, but uh, they need a little bit more capital to keep, keep the vision alive and keep moving forward. So it's, uh, it's that early kind of first in capital uh, beyond friends and family before they, they grow to a size where they can go and get venture capital funding. 
And tell us about some of the angel investing you've done. You don't necessarily have to mention the business names, but what kind of things have you gotten involved with? A lot of business-to-business tech startups. And actually, uh, a space that's really growing well in the Twin Cities here is actually food startups coming together and making new products. And the experiences that I've had there have really helped me take that kind of entrepreneurial mindset and take pieces of it and bring it into my day job from a Fortune 500 standpoint and then vice versa, taking the what I've learned as a technology leader in a Fortune 500 around scale and being able to bring that back to startups to help them figure out, okay, how do I turn this idea that I have into something that can actually scale? So it actually is an amazing opportunity to go both ways. And would you call angel investing a personal investment or would you call it a community investment or is it both? It's a little bit of both. So I, when I first started angel investing, I went in, uh, spent about two years really diving into understanding the tech startup community here in the Twin Cities. Got connected to some amazing people, uh, talked with a lot of past angel investors to say, okay, what are the things I really need to understand as I go into that space? After I got done with the kind of the first couple of investments on my own, I really got involved with more of an angel investment fund, which is a collection of people coming together to do the to do these investments. And one of the hallmarks that we had of the fund was it was more than just the investment. It was also saying, okay, how do we build community around tech startups? For me, there's an investment piece, but there's also how do we make this community better? And that's been one of the hallmarks of the group that I've gotten involved with. So you might benchmark returns, not just on the financial returns, but also on the impact it's made on the community? Absolutely. The reality is with uh, with angel investing, you're very early on. So it's high risk capital. So you never want to go into, into angel investing with dollars that you couldn't just walk away from. You don't want these dollars to be ones that will completely change your life if you lose them. Because the reality is, is probably the majority of the ones that you invest in aren't going to turn out. You know, when you think of investing in, in 10, 10 investments, you're really hoping for, you know, one or two that hit it out of the park. You're hoping for others that will return. And you know that some of them will just disappear. And tell us what kind of amounts of money we're really talking about. How much money do you have to have available to get involved in angel investing? It really depends on the fund and the organization you're going into. You know, you can get into an actual angel investment for around 10 grand. What's really neat is over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of crowdfunding um, that has has come up around angel and investing the type. So that's really making it accessible to a much broader group of people is through the crowdfunding platform. Um, but to go truly into the angel investing side, you're probably looking at 10, 25,000 for each investment. So it's for the experienced investor, it sounds like. Very much. Yeah. It's, uh, I would not recommend someone who's brand new to investing to go jump into angel investing because it's a pretty good process where you probably will lose uh, everything you put in. It takes a little understanding of, okay, how do I go after it? You know, the, the biggest thing I've learned on the angel investing side is a lot of people think the value is in the idea you know, I got a great idea here, you should, you should invest it. The reality is the idea in and of itself doesn't have the value. It's the ability to take that idea and execute on it and to turn it into something. That's where the value is in, in an organization. And it is so much in the leadership team of that startup uh, as opposed into one person because it takes that team working together to really have the pieces that they're needed to make it successful. Help me sell this to the audience of the What's Up Next podcast here, Angel Investing. You mentioned that you have to be okay with the fact that you might lose your whole investment. So why do people do angel investing? 
They do it for a number of different reasons. Um, they do it to diversify their portfolio. They do it to see a potential increase in returns. They do it, as we talked about, for the helping that startup community side of it. But it, it certainly is far down the road on your investment journey. It's something that you, you want to have a fair amount of understanding under your belt before you jump in to do uh, angel investing because you can lose it very easily. And so it should be a, a small part of a portfolio. Can you talk about maybe on a more granular level, some of the non-financial returns you've got from doing angel investing? Just the passion that you see in startups and the energy that they bring together. There's an organization called Startup Weekend that puts on events across the world that is just an amazing organization that people come together on a Friday afternoon. Everyone has a chance to pitch their idea. The group then comes together and self-selects, okay, which ones of these ideas do we like to see? And then over the course of the next two and a half days, they take that idea from that concept to a space where they pitch it back to some investors um, by Sunday evening. And it is truly remarkable how much you can accomplish in two days. When you align the people and the passions together, you know, we've had a number of startups that have come out of a startup weekend here in the Twin Cities that, you know, four or five years later, they're going well and they're taking off. So having a chance to, to see that passion that's what I've really been able to take from it. was able to take that concept and create a similar type of event inside my company and do it and say, okay, how do we do this for entrepreneurship? And there have been some amazing wins that have come out of that. We had a chance to do seven of those events over the course of probably about five-year period. And to this day, there are things that are out in the marketplace that, that had its genesis in those weekends and pretty cool to see. And it sounds like most of this investing you do, most of these events you attend are all Twin Cities related. So you really keep it to your local community there? For the most part, the events that I've attended have been. As I've gotten more involved on the, the entrepreneurship, as we look at doing this inside of large companies, I have had the chance to go and collaborate across the U.S. on some uh, some projects and actually serve as uh, judges at other large companies as they've done it. So it is pretty neat when you tie the passion of the employee into something that they're really excited about. And that's really the point of this. We have amazing people that work in our organizations, a lot of times we feel like we have to tell them, okay, here are the things in the one, two, three, the steps that you need to do. Open that up and really empower those employees to follow their dreams. They know it better than anyone else. What are the areas that, that we need to work on? Find time to create that space for them to take that on and to explore their ideas. So Tim, I want to move the conversation over a little bit. I met you first at one of the Camp Fi or Camp Financial Independence events. What really impressed me was the philanthropy you're involved with. Do you consider yourself a philanthropist? To some degree, you know, I think we all are philanthropists in our own rights on being able to be involved in the community. And that really comes in many forms. It comes from the, the time we devote back to, to the community through our volunteer hours, but it can also include our, uh, our financial contributions back to the community. You introduced me to this idea of endowed scholarships. Can you tell our audience what those are and how they play a role in your philanthropy? Yeah, so endowed scholarships, really uh, the idea is you're creating a fund within inside an institution that will grow over the years and it takes a small amount of dollars off of that every year to fund the current use. So normally um, they're pulling like a 4% draw off of those endowed funds that then support whatever the mission is that you're going after. So 
in undergrad, I benefited greatly from scholarships. And as I got into the working world and had a little bit more disposable income to be able to, to put back into the community, I thought, boy, it'd be great to create a scholarship. And I thought at the beginning, it's like, okay, I'll create this scholarship and it'll help someone out. And over the years, and as I've built it out, it's become so much more impactful for myself than I ever thought it would be. And as I talk to the students who benefit from the scholarship, you also hear that from them that, you know, the financial side is important, but it's the community that you create and the mentorship that gets formed through that, that really is where the power is in those engagements. I want to talk about the community you've formed around these endowed scholarships. But before we get there, as I first heard you describing the 4% and putting some money down, it almost sounds like something you'd have to be a Rockefeller to be involved with. Let's talk a little bit about the dollars and cents. How much money did you need to start your first endowed scholarship and how did it work? Yeah. And, you know, I had the same thought as I, as I went into it. It's like, oh, okay, how would I ever create a scholarship? You know, that's, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars to make that work. And the reality is I know in the fire community, a, a lot of it is looking and saying, okay, how do we hack things and look at it from a little bit different vantage point? Every once in a while, there's, there's some really neat opportunities out there and it's not taking advantage of those opportunities. So I work for uh, an amazing employer who does matching uh, matching gifts. So if I give a dollar, my employer gives a dollar to match that. Okay, so there's a, a doubling of your investment right away. I created my first endowed scholarship at a time when the, the university had a, a big capital campaign. So they were encouraging new donors to do endowments. So they had a matching program there. So for instance, I give a dollar, my employer matches that. Now I have two dollars. Now the university has their match program that matches that. So that turns into four dollars. So all of a sudden, I've now amplified my impact. On top of that, if I use appreciated securities and give that, I show the, the capital gains because that the organization gets and I get a tax deduction. So reality, when I went through and did my first endowed scholarship, it cost me about 17 cents on the dollar, which was a, a pretty amazing return for what it was. And it wasn't a huge amount of dollars. So you can do it over a period of time. So in my case, I did it over a, a five-year period and it turned out to be about $2,500 out of pocket for me each year. So all of a sudden that, which seemed like a huge hurdle on, on being able to put together an endowment, actually got to be much more manageable. You know, as I said earlier, that ability has turned into be much more impactful for me than I ever thought it would be. Let's talk about that impact a little bit. If I'm reading you correctly, you donated, let's say, $2,500 a year for five years, right? So that so would take 12, us to five. twelve five. Yeah. What did that twelve five fund? So what, what, is that, what are those dollars going to right now? So that, that 12.5 I put in, my employer matched that. So there's 25. The university matched that. There's 50. So now you start with, a, you start with about 50,000 in that endowed scholarship. That then starts throwing off 4% a year. But at the same time, uh, it's also invested. So the, the whole idea of an endowment is it's a, it's a pool of dollars that are going to continue to grow into perpetuity. So if I stop giving and never put another dollar in there, it should throw off 4% a year forever. And that's really the, the point of an endowment. It, it's continued to grow over the years. And uh, the, the neat part is I get two brand new freshmen every year who receive that scholarship. So whatever that 4% value is, today is split into two and they get that scholarship each, uh, each September. Okay, so I want to actually run the numbers so people just understand this. So 
the $50,000, 4% is about $2,000, right? Yep. So that $2,000 then is split between two incoming freshmen. So each of them get a $1,000 scholarship. Is that correct? And that's assuming that the money makes no extra money. Right. Doesn't make anything investments. Now we know that, you know, if invested wisely, hopefully our investments will make between five and 10%. So that grows. The purpose of endowment is you set that 4% draw, then you plan for an inflationary amount in that, plus you have some fees that you pay into that. So really the endowments are targeting to make somewhere between probably 7 and 9% a year. And then by taking off that 4%, it's continuing to build in an inflationary hedge so that the value continues to go up. So the first couple of years when the endowment gave off, it was just one scholarship, probably even $2,500 in the early years. I've continued to add to it. It's We've had a good market over the years. So now those the two scholarships are actually pretty decent inside. I want to say they're probably $2,500 and $3,000 each, but that's because of the growth over the years. And so a few thoughts, again, just to help people through this. It, we talk about the 4% safe withdrawal rate all the time when we're talking about our financial independence number. But when you look at this endowment, you start with $50,000 and you take 4% off the top every year, that should last in perpetuity or at least for the next 30 years, assuming that there's not a horrendous market for the first 10 years that that's out there. So that's one point. The other point is the money you donated, again, to drive the point home. So every year you were giving $2,500, but if you were transferring stock that had capital gains on it, you were getting quite a bit of tax break as well as the tax break for just giving a donation in the first place. So $12,500 is not a small amount of money to give, but when you think about giving it over five years and the deductions, uh, that money has given you a huge impact. It has, and it's much more reachable uh, when you break it down into over a, a time period like that. You realize, boy, you can make a difference. And you know, the, the first scholarship I gave was $500 in a direct scholarship, and then came upon this idea of doing the endowment and, and built that out. So it's been over many years has kind of come together. This first endowment that you did, how many students have now received a scholarship through that endowment? Through that endowment, I think I'm up to 16 students now having, having got scholarships through that one. And it's pretty neat because each year... In September of the year, I get a, a letter from the students and saying, hey, you know, thank you so much for the scholarship. And for most donors, that's where it ends. I immediately turn around and reach out and say, hell, congratulations on, on getting the scholarship. I'd love to connect for coffee or something just to have a chance to meet you. So we'll then meet for coffee and I'll say, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to introduce you to the students who have gotten this in the past. So we're going to do a, a dinner for everyone here in October so that you can come together. You can learn from them. You know, everyone else is here to help you out. They've been where you've been, understand the coursework that you're doing and uh, can help you figure that out. And as you get to an internship, as you get to looking for that first full-time job, they're there to help you. And my only ask is next year, I'm going to bring two new freshmen to this, uh, this group and you're going to help them. And it's almost that pay it forward mentality. And it has been amazing how, how much of an impact that, that has had on the students. And, you know, talk to the students when they graduate and they'll come back and they say, you know, the, the scholarship was great, but what was so much more impactful was that community that we've created and having that chance for us to interact one-on-one -on -one and to talk through, okay, you know, you're getting ready to go into that next part of your, of your cycle of, you know, looking for that first internship, looking for that first job, all those first. Now you have people 
that you can reach out and you can talk to. And seeing the transformation of a student from that, you know, freshman September until they graduate in four years is pretty remarkable. You know, they've shown their leadership skills. They've shown how they've gotten involved in campus. They might not have taken the path they thought they were going to take when they came in that uh, freshman year, but they've been so successful as they've went through it. Tell us about some of those success stories. Tell us about some of the people who've now graduated college who had received your scholarship. What are they doing with themselves? The neat part is, is they now are all across the world. One's in uh, law school in Michigan. One's in a leadership development program or one of the large public accounting companies. Another had a chance to go up and be a backcountry ski guide in Alaska for the year. You know, he looked at it and he came in with a focus on business and decided, you know, I truly love being involved with nature and uh, shifted his uh, his priorities there, had a chance to go have a great experience in Alaska, and now is teaching in an environmental school in, in Colorado. So you get a chance to see a lot of different students, and everyone's able to take their kind of their passion and kind of grow that into something amazing that, that really fits with what they're looking to do. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. You mentioned this earlier that most people who do what you've done here get a letter in the mail telling them who their scholarship winners are, and that's it. You decided to take a very different path by engaging people and building a community around this endowed scholarship. Where did that model come from? Like, why did you do it differently than everyone else? 
you know, one of the key pieces for me was creating those senses of community. And so I knew when I got into it, it's like, boy, I want to figure out a way of how we bring it together. I know from my own experience, the the scholarships that I received where I had a chance to connect with the donor, it added just a whole nother level of uh, value to that, to that scholarship. And I thought, okay, well, let's give it a try. And it truly has been an evolution uh, along the way. I didn't walk into thinking, oh God, I have it all figured out. It's just, okay, we're going to try something. Some things work well, some things don't, and we figure out how to move forward. This is the seventh year of that annual dinner now that we pull a group together with. It is pretty neat to see how it has come together and seeing that we now have quite a number of graduates in the program. So it'll be fun to fast forward 20 years from now to see how that, the group is coming together. If I remember correctly, is this your only endowed scholarship or have you started another one? I do have a second one at my undergrad institution. And that one I'm doing a little bit differently. Instead of having it uh, one new freshman each year, I get one new freshman every four years. And then it's a renewable scholarship. So it's just a different model. And because the, the two institutions are fairly close together, I actually bring the two worlds together. So now the students are having a chance to interact between the institutions also. And are there any differences in the funding of this scholarship compared to the previous? No, very similar. It was uh, started also at a time when I I had gotten the the matching piece from uh, from my employer. Uh, it didn't have the extra kicker of the the institution also have the match, so it's it's a little bit different. But you know, fundamentally, it works the same. Going forward, if you had decided at the beginning of this that you were going to put the money down originally that you put for these two endowed scholarships and never were going to put a single extra cent in would they have still run just just fine as they are? Once you get an endowment to a size where it's self-sustaining, they will run just as they are. I continue to invest over the last uh, number of years just to help get them to a little bit larger size so they make more of an impact for the student. But uh, yeah, I could stop tomorrow and am confident that they would continue on and I'd be able to continue on the, the programming just as I, as I have in the past. So I want to start closing this conversation with talking about how all these activities of being involved in your community has changed your life. So talk about how volunteering, angel investing, and philanthropy have affected your career trajectory as well as your personal trajectory. They all weave themselves together very well. Some of the experiences that I've been able to have would not have been possible had I not stepped forward and gotten involved in the community from a volunteer perspective. The experiences I've gotten from a community perspective have stretched me to think differently from a strategic standpoint and from a a planning perspective, which has helped me directly in my day-to-day world. Getting involved in the the tech startup space in the community have given me uh, ideas that I've been able to bring into my day-to-day job uh, to explore in that space. So it truly is all intertwined. One grows on the other, and each of those experiences help make me a better person and give me different perspectives that I otherwise would never have. Probably as we started the conversation, the idea of doing one different thing each year, that has been as impactful as anything. You know, I had a chance to be a, a principal for a day at an elementary school in North Minneapolis to understand, okay, what's going on with K-12 education in an urban setting? Having a chance to go and do a leadership program on foundations and strategic 
Philanthropy out of New York, where we had a chance to, to do site visits and going and checking out the Lower East Side Harm Reduction Center. Now, from a, a kid growing up in Minnesota on a farm in southern Minnesota, going to a, a needle exchange was a whole different experience for me, perpetuating an issue just by giving needles out. But having a chance to talk to the staff, having a chance to talk with the users and really understanding it from a public health perspective completely changed my idea of what it is that they're doing. And seeing it from that lens just make me much more connected to the community. It also was a great example of how do we not jump to conclusions before we're ready? You know, one of the questions that came up in that example was, is, okay, you know, how many needles do you normally hand out? And, uh, we were all expecting, you know, a small number and and they said, well, in normal case, that is. But we had one guy come in and get a, a thousand needles. And, you know, you could read throughout the entire audience. They said, well, you know, you should have a policy against it. You know, you should limit the number of that. And they said, anytime you have those things that seem really outside of the norm, you should pause and ask yourself, there's something else here. What's going on? And so they paused. And what they found was this person was coming into the center, getting the needles, and then going out on the street and exchanging on the street with users that would never come into a center like that. Although that organization didn't know that person was doing that, if they would have just jumped in and made a policy change like that, uh, they actually would have dramatically impacted the efficacy that they have in that community. So it's like, how do you take those opportunities to pause and just understand? So those are just a couple examples of, you know, where you put yourself out there and understand, okay, the community and that you can get a huge insight that can, can help in so many ways. As I listen to your stories and all the things you're involved with, they seem almost a little bit disparate, right? So you're talking about needle exchanges on one hand, angel investing and startups on another, endowed scholarships in another. On your website, you describe yourself as a dot connector. How do the dots connect? The dots connect in so many ways. In most cases, you never know how they're going to connect. One of the things I love to do is I love to take people from many different areas and connect them together and then let it go. And, you know, sometimes you hear back what those experiences are, but a lot of times you never hear back the impact that has. But if I can be that connector that puts those two people together and lets it go, who knows where that's going to go? One of the most impactful things for me on the community side is you put a huge amount of time in volunteering and, and giving back. 99 out of 100 times, you never hear the impact that that has for someone. But every once in a while, you hear from someone the, the true impact that you made on that. And that's what makes the difference. One additional story for you. I uh, had a chance to sit on a scholarship selection committee for my employer that was giving uh, giving scholarships to a urban high school. We would get their applications and, you know, just heart-wrenching applications for some of these students on some of the challenges that they have been put through as they've come up, and yet they're still very much succeeding. So we come together, you know, five or six of us internally to the organization, and a couple uh, from the school, they come together, and we spend probably four or five hours reviewing applications. We come together, we spend two hours making decisions, and then we go our own way, and we never really hear the impact that has. Well, I had a chance to do that a couple years ago and then just so happened to be in a school for an event. And we were having meetings in the morning. And then at lunchtime, we had some students come to give us a tour of the school. So I get in this one little group and the young lady who's leading the tour is just happy with life. She's just excited about everything. And so we're walking around and one of the other members in the group finally asked her, like, hey, you seem really excited. What's going on? She said, I just found out I got accepted to the University of Minnesota. I'm the first person in my family ever to, to go to school. And I never thought it would be possible, but I'm going to succeed. And it's like, wow, that's really 
really cool. As we walked on a little bit further, someone asked, well, tell us a little bit more. And she said, well, you know, the only way that this was possible is I got this scholarship from this company who's my employer. And she said, without that, there was, there'd be no way that I could ever have dreamt of going to school. Now, she had no clue I was on that scholarship selection committee. I had no clue who she was because it's double blind us. But there was one example of taking that a couple hours out of my day to, to go and do that and the true impact that had on that young lady and the success that that will bring for her. Is it fair to say that impactful relationships and community is the connection of the dots? Absolutely. I saw also in your profile, did you win a 40 under 40 award a few years ago? I did have the chance to win a 40 under 40 award from the the Twin Cities um, a number of years ago. It was a neat honor, but also an opportunity to connect with other really amazing people in our community and collectively look at and say, okay, what can we be doing? How do we continue to keep moving the ball forward? It sounds like it was well-deserved. One last question. We are a financial independence podcast and we talk about finances a lot. Do you have to be financially independent to have the type of impact you're talking about in your community? Absolutely not. You know, I had a chance to start the steps of this process well before I was anywhere near financially independent. And it's about, okay, how do you take the different pieces and put them together? And how do you take those small steps? Don't necessarily wait for this magical day at some point in the future when you can do something. Make the impact today and keep it moving forward. You know, for me, what gave me the chance to start doing the scholarship was, you know, as I got out of undergrad, really focused on saying, hey, you know, I want to find a way of paying off my mortgage, you know, follow Going to the, the steps that are out there in the FI community, really spent the, the first six, seven years of my professional career really focused intently on paying down that house. Once I had the house paid off, I then took some of those dollars that I was putting towards the mortgage, and that's what became a lot of the initial dollars I'm putting in towards the endowment. But you certainly do not need to wait to a financially independent before you do these things. Take the action today and just start small and then let it grow and see where passion drives you. Any future projects you're really looking forward to over the next few years? Just really looking forward to continuing that idea of trying new things and keeping it moving forward, but nothing specific. Well, Tim, I am just absolutely blown away. I feel like we could um, have an entire podcast, not just episode, but podcast just on everything you've done. And probably three different podcasts, one on volunteering, one on age investing, and one on endowment scholarships. I'm just very impressed. I wish we could follow you around with like a YouTube channel (laughs) vlog type deal and just like document your life. I mean, that's really how incredible this your story is. So just can't say anything more about how much I thank you for making those contributions in your community. I was also a recipient of an endowment type scholarship from Orkin, which is where my dad worked many years ago. And it was very similar to that where I didn't get to know the person who, who made the volunteer, but I mean, mine was a $500 scholarship. But for me, that was a big deal. That was $500 I had to borrow in order to pay for my college. So the connection that you make, I think, is really what sets you apart from Maybe the story that that I had, or if I had been able to connect to the person who helped make that donation, I believe I would have appreciated that connection far more than the money. So I think you've got something figured out here. When you look at those at a scholarship, and I, I know from my personal experience, and as I talk to students, I hear it all the time, scholarships are more than the financial piece. It's also someone who doesn't know you investing in you and investing in your success. And you feel that ability for someone to say, hey, you know, 
I, I completely believe in you. I completely believe in where you're going. And that is so much a part of that value and motivation from that student that say, hey, someone cares about me that wants to take their hard-earned dollars and put it in. To those out there that are thinking about doing a scholarship at some point in time, take the opportunity to get to know your recipient. It could be as easy as a coffee. It could be easy as just connecting for a meal, but you certainly won't be disappointed having a chance to get to know that student and do it over a couple of times. Don't just do a one-off, but do it and really get to connect with them. You know, I'll connect with each of my students once a year. It's not a lot. I'll do a a one-on-one meal of some sort, and then we bring them together uh, in the fall of every year. So those are really the touch points. It's not like I'm connecting with them on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis. But just that little connection makes a huge impact. Well, I think what I like about that is mentor-mentee relationship is actually kind of hard to find. As someone coming up as a young student, people tell you, go find a mentor. You hear people talking about, I had this mentor that helped me. How do you go about finding that sort of thing? You were creating that vehicle to manifest that relationship, which I think is really interesting. And the neat part about it is I don't need to go out and try to find the students. You know, one of the benefits of an endowment and a scholarship is you put some of the initial criteria on it. But then the institution finds it and they do so much better of a job finding a diverse group of of students than I could ever find. The three things that I look for in my scholarship recipients are, you know, demonstrated academic success in in high school. So that you see just by what their grades are. Someone who has taken the effort to step up and be a leader with inside their their high school. Uh, And that could be leading a sports team, leading a student government, yearbook, anything. It doesn't have to be anything in specific, but just stepping up as a leader. And then the third one is someone who volunteers outside of their school. Those are the three criteria, and I've been blown away by the students that they found for it. That's really interesting. The uh, The volunteer aspect of it, uh, it just typically is very time-consuming in all the things that you're involved in. I, I wonder how you have time to sleep or actually do any work at, <laughs> at your yeah. job with everything you're going on. How do you balance all this? You tend to find a way to balance everything out. For me right now, I don't have kids yet, not married yet, so that gives me the chance to really focus on this. Uh, knowing that once I get married, once I have kids, that will change. But, you know, taking the the opportunity of this stage of life that I'm in to say, I'm going to jump in and learn as much as I can, have as big of an impact as I can, uh, and know that that will continue to evolve in the future. Well, thank you so much for the example and sharing with what you've done in your community and hopefully uh, been an inspiration to some of our audience members to do the same thing. I would like to give you a chance to promote any place that you are, what's your website, where can we find you, and share with the audience. So what is up next with you? What's up next for me is really continuing to find ways of how do I deepen that experience in my community? How do I be a catalyst for exchanging best practices? Uh, I love um, the area of governance from organizations. So, you know, I'll continue to be very involved in, in boards. And I would encourage everyone to think about that and don't get on a board just so it's something that's on a resume or to say you do it. Get on it because it's something that you really have a passion for, you believe in, you want to give back to, and uh, you will be truly amazed at the impact that uh, that comes. It won't come overnight. It'll be over the course of years, but it's fun looking back and seeing the impact that has. And where can everybody find you if they wanted to find out more about you? LinkedIn is probably the best way. Tim Hipsch on there, and uh, it's T-I-M-H-U-E-B-S-C-H. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. I have myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson. We wanted to thank Tim Hipsch and all that he does for his community and ours. That's a wrap. 
In this episode, we broke away from just talking about financial topics to discuss how you affect your community. If you enjoyed this conversation, we would also point you to episode 26, Is There a Connection Between Financial Independence and Social Change, which our panelists were Millennial Revolution, Mrs. Wow and R.V. Darko, as well as episode 41, What is Effective Altruism with Sebastian Aguilar. Both of those episodes give a nice framework about how we can take the power of personal finance and financial independence and use it to affect our communities and make the world a better place. Catch you next week. Yeah, we're we're waiting for the Tim Hip Show. I mean, we're, <laughs> I mean, we're we'll we'll help sponsor your Tim Hip Show. <laughs> <laughs> you could you could call it shooting from the hips. There you go. <laughs> that is actually pretty cool. I like that. that sounds good. You you'll make me sound much better than I am. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think. Yep. Uh, occasionally we've had people on and we ask a question they just say yes and stop yeah yeah <laughs> enough. and, and that know. that doesn't no. work so well but. no so uh, <laughs> that'd be funny if it's like hey uh, tim we're just gonna let, let you go we're not gonna ask any questions just tell us about yourself <laughs> <laughs> after all fun. that yeah that okay <laughs> <laughs>